0: You're listening to Disruptive Dialogues on the future of religion. Our aim is to provide listeners tools for a conversation on how religion is changing and being affected by society.
1: I'm your co-host, Troy Shepherd. I'm an app developer and a business entrepreneur and a researcher on cultural trends related to religion and community.
0: And I'm your co-host, Dr. Heidi Campbell, a professor of communication at Texas A&M University, where I study the intersection of religion, media, and digital technology. Welcome, and let's dive into today's conversation. So welcome back to the podcast this week. We want to remind listeners why we engage with this theme in this podcast and what our hopes and aims are. You see, we're at our one-year anniversary, and so it's a good time to start and think about why we started this podcast and what we're trying to cover. Over the last year, we've covered a lot of themes from Christian nationalism to the pandemic and its impact on the church, to racism in faith communities, and we've seen a lot of overlapping themes as we've tackled these topics, and so we thought this was a good moment to reflect on why we chose the theme of disruptive dialogues in relation to religion, and what our aim is in engaging our listeners. So the title of this podcast, Disruptive Dialogues on the Future of Religion, is to motivate us to start disruptive dialogues, but what does that really mean? Does a disruptive dialogue or conversation always have to be in a negative light? You know, when we use the word disruptive, we often think about something like a disruptive child, and that's seen in a negative light of kids making noise, of distracting from what we should be paying attention to. But we want you to think, think about disruptive in another light, the perspective that the top, if a topic is difficult, it may be disruptive. It's something that's different from our own personal ideology or theology, and that idea could threaten our personal beliefs or the way we've seen things in the past.
1: And so when we offer another perspective, we have to be intelligent. We, 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 we can't just rush into a conversation and assume that we know everything there is to know about that conversation. And when one thinks about being intelligent, it's to me, it's not always about just knowledge or about skills. So knowledge, I know what's going on. I know what that topic is about. So I have the knowledge. Or I'm really good at conversation. And so I have this skill set that allows me to circumvent any issues that come up in that dialogue. So for instance, the word counterculture is really popular today, right? But what's it really mean? So when you deviate from those in mainstream culture, you're said to be countercultural, which just means you have a different point of view. And there's nothing wrong with having a different point of view, just we have to be intelligent about what we do with that different point of view. We can also think of the word counterintelligence. What we don't want to do is to be so insensitive to counter ideas that we aren't taking into account someone else's perspective. So like, for instance, in counterintelligence in the military world, for example, the effort that's most often made is to prevent another person or persons from gaining either bad information or misinformation or even uncovering secret information that they weren't intended to have. All that to say, being aware of what another perspective is can be so valuable for conversations. And a conversation has the opportunity to become disruptive or bring about enlightenment for both sides when we consider someone else's viewpoint.
0: So today, in celebration of our one year anniversary, we want to tackle another Twitter feed conversation that we came across about a week or so ago. And this tweet kind of sums up many of the themes that we've covered in this last year and the differing passionate responses that such themes can generate. So a question was posed online by a, a Twitter user with the Twitter handle Jared Stacy. He's an American expat studying for a PhD in theology in the UK. And he posed a question and a counter question. And it received over 3,000 likes and just under 600 retweets and a lot of kind of passionate responses to it. So here was his tweet. He said, The American ask, What about my rights? The Christian ask, what is right by my neighbor? And then he makes a statement saying, American Christians, which question we ask makes all the difference. So we have three points that we want to talk through with our listeners today based on this tweet. First is, he raises the issue, what about our rights? What does that really mean? Second, how do we think better about the right or rights of our neighbors? And third, does it really matter which question we ask first?
1: So to tackle the first Statement or question that he raises, we want to talk about our rights. So, we want to compare the difference between what we are allowed to do versus being correct, being right, or being correct. So, distinguishing the difference between our rights versus what is right. And I'm going to try to use the word correct instead of right (laughs) to make it a little bit easier. So, one of the follow up statements that the author makes here on this tweet is he, he makes a statement, can we really assume our neighbor's situation is the same as our own? And I think that's a good perspective to take is we often think, well, everything I've done everything in my power for the other person, but is that actually what's best for them? Putting ourselves in their shoes and saying, my neighbor's situation is exactly the same as mine and I've done all I can do. So everything must be okay. And another follow-up t- tweet after that, uh, someone else stated, just because your neighbor thinks it's right doesn't mean it is. So if we take that and, and, and kind of expand on that, if I think I'm right and my neighbor thinks that they're right, we're really kind of only looking at our own individual rights, correct? <laughs> and so when we do that, we I think we really lose out on Seen a different perspective, and we're just literally focused on our rights as I'm correct. And another tweet was someone talking about their wife pointed out that in the Good Samaritan story, uh, this was stated in the Bible, the priest and the Levite were within their, quote, rights, end quote, by not helping the injured man to keep themselves ceremonially clean. So he goes on to say, we can argue that our actions aren't technically wrong and yet still violate the second greatest commandment, which is love your neighbor. And in that tweet, I think just basically seeing that even though it might be really hard for us to deviate from what we assume is correct, actually looking at another perspective And giving them the dignity or giving them the ability to actually be helped or to be served actually might be better (laughs) than just focusing on, well, I can't actually help that other person because it causes me to become unclean. Or it might cause me to be late for that meeting. Or it might cause me something that I just don't want to deal with. And therefore, I'm not going to cross over the street or cross over into that perspective of the other person and create a dialogue. And then there was a couple other tweets. One was someone said, Jesus's parable of the sheep and the goats wasn't about what the goats did, but was actually about what they didn't do. And this person says, I'm done erring on the side of inaction. I think that's a really good quote. Just basically, I'm, I'm really tired of just living in my own rights. What if I were to actually broaden my horizon, broaden my perspective and look at what it means to be active or to, or to take action with those around me, actually seeing others from their perspective instead of just my own. And one of the last ones I'll talk about here, this is a, a hot topic right now, somebody states, in spite of their fake science, and they put science in quotations. Again, I think this this assumes that the science being about COVID, but it assumes that, that only one person or one platform can be correct. So the science has to be fake, according to this tweeter. And the scientist, I think, would say, no, you're wrong. The science is correct. But what if both are actually wrong because of their perspective. I mean, what if both could have incorrect assumptions about the other person? And I can take the example of somebody who doesn't get vaccinated because their own immune system might react really, really bad. And so instead of getting vaccinated, they mask up all the time and they social distance. Now, when a scientist looks at that perspective, they might say, oh, well, I totally understand now why you're not getting vaccinated. You don't want to go through the trauma, and you're taking all the precautions that you know to keep not just yourself safe, but to keep others safe. Okay, the scientists can then understand that perspective. But if we just say, well, the science has to be bad or wrong or incorrect, or it's trying to be forced onto me, I think we're not really opening up ourselves to a dialogue that could be two-way instead of just shutting the other person down or the other perspective down.
0: So one thing that's really interesting in both kind of the tweets that are kind of questioning, starting with the our rights perspective first, as well as the ones that were taking that perspective, is that they really kind of set up this kind of dichotomy of a competition. You know, if somebody else's rights are being um, uh, spoken for or being given first place, then what about me? What about my abilities? What about my perspective? It's kind of like seeing like it's a very victim mentality kind of thing, but it sense that, you know, it's either their rights or my rights. And so we have to kind of fight it out of who has the more. Moral ethical basis to really start with. But let's get the second question you know, rights by our neighbors or our neighbors' rights. You know, is it just about kind of one, the, the rights of the neighbors winning against, you know, our th- own thoughts? Or is it about how we see who our neighbor is? You know, is the neighbor just like me? One person who used the Twitter handle, Live Like Jesus, they said that there was a conversation, the scriptures once said, Jesus, love your neighbor. And the followers said, Which ones? And Jesus says, All of them. It doesn't get much clearer than that. I mean, so it does say that, you know, in some respects, even though it's counterintuitive, it's kind of counter-mainstream culture, that the idea of putting others before ourselves, it's uncomfortable. It does, it goes against a lot of our idea of a kind of American rights, but it's kind of the, the kingdom kind of culture that we're called to live by. So one thing that this idea of putting people's rights above is always going to be uncomfortable and countercultural. Another tweet, tweet said... Plain and simple, your neighbor doesn't have to be right, saved or sanctified for you to treat them righteously. So that's, you know, so what happens at the end of the day, especially if we think about COVID, you know, like when we've privileged people's rights as far as uh, people like wear masking because it helps the neighbor. This kind of narrative that's come up, you know, but what if we find out that actually scientifically masks don't work as effectively as we want, or actually those people were wrong. Is it still ethically or, or morally or problematic that we put those people first. And here it's saying, no, it's like, you know, they, the, the, the idea of putting people first, even if it's not correct, even if it's, uh, you know, not the best result in the end of the day, it's still something that, that God calls us to do. In the Bible stories like Joseph, he, he followed the, the leaders and he was willing to be go to prison and follow those rules, even though he, it, he didn't really deserve it but God blessed him in the end, you know, realizing not to fight that winning that particular battle wasn't the end of the story. Another thing we need to consider is also is when we think about our neighbor's rights is just, it's just, <laughs> sometimes it's, it's about kindness. You know, you, I've talked about many times this podcast about my initiative for creative kindness, but, you know, being kind is something that's not just called, we're called to do as Christians. We're humans do this you know you as one person said you don't need to be a christian to think about others it's just being a good human and part of that is because not just treating others as ourselves but it's also the sense of that we are valuing people and as like just as christ put others above his own life even to death that he's calling us to walk in that same sacrificial way and then the last issue I want to raise on just others' rights—it's you know this issue is that sometimes we think about you know in the sense of a competition of my rights versus our neighbor's rights—is that it's an equal playing field. The person who started the conversation, Jared Stacy, he he came back in the in the conversation and said, you know, can we really assume our neighbor's situation is the same as our own? This avoids any sort of lived-out solidarity or advocacy. Isaiah told Israel to plead the cause of the widow in not securing your house or your neighbors that your neighbors are covered too. In other words what he's trying to say is that you know we can we can assume that you know maybe we're both on the same playing field, maybe that both of us have the same perspective, the same resources the same, you know, level of kind of protection, the same kind of health, the same kind of financial resources. And, you know, maybe we don't, maybe we are the privileged in the situation. And so actually kind of stepping back and preferring our neighbors is, you know, the morally right thing to do. And finally, it raised this issue in not just the term of the pandemic, but in terms of Christian nationalism. You know, they said, you know, well, maybe that we need to think about our our neighbors, but it shows that, you know, Christian nationalists Even what they do varies. You know, out of a a survey of 100 Christian nationalists, there was very different perspectives about how do we treat or see those who are marginalized in society? What is our, you know, socioeconomic status? You know, so our rights, even within the Christian community, we can't say that we are a unified group. We have people coming from different strata of society, different backgrounds, and different perspectives of privilege. And so the sense that, you know, we say, well, well, that we should treat everybody equally because we are equal, it's not true. And, you know, God says always put the poor, the needy, the widow, you know, true uh, religion is that which cares for the widow and orphan first, and then is about not being kind of sullied by the negativity of culture. Do we do that? You know, so this question is, it raises a lot of kind of disruptive kind of things about not how we think just as Christians, but how we think as American cultural Christians.
1: And so the first question we raised was basically about our rights, what we are allowed to do versus being correct. And then what you were just talking about is literally the rights of our neighbors or or being right by our neighbors. And it's not just about those who are like me, but everybody. And to kind of sum that up, which, like the, the original tweet asked, which question do we ask first? Is it is it our rights? Is it really about, you know, being right by others? Like, you know, how do, we, how do we navigate that? And one of the tweets was someone talking about the American church. And they said, let's temporarily not meet in person so as not to spread the Delta variant of COVID to our vulnerable, vulnerable, unvaccinated folk. Sure, we collect more money in person, but... Switch it up. God is more powerful than our emotions and pocketbooks. And they end by saying, do church safely. And I think we can correlate that a little bit to how we do conversations. Are we doing conversations safely? In other words, are we not just holding on to our own rights, but are we actually being right by others, by our neighbors?
0: So in another tweet, which kind of gets back to some of the themes I was talking about earlier, it's another question is like this. Am I a Christian who happens to be American or am I an American who happens to be a Christian? they are not equals so one has to be a priority over the other and i think this kind of helps us address this is this is kind of the debate about christian nationalism at the, the the front we have religious values and we have kind of cultural political values which one do we start with do we start with being a christian and filter then our politics and how we see our nation and our culture that, or do we start with kind of our the cultural values of manifest destiny and the political historic rhetoric of America, and read Christianity through that? That will really shift kind of how we read who our neighbor is and how we treat them.
1: And another tweet: this person just basically is kind of asking the question back at the original question of the tweet, and just says, "And what answer does the Christian arrive at?" They might be seeking truly seeking like. So what is the point of this conversation? (laughs) Or so if you're a Christian, like, where do you land on this? And I think it's good to think about because when we think about, is this really a Christian question or is this really a humanity question? Now, from the Christian perspective, from the 30,000 foot elevation view of Christianity, you would say there's really two directives, love God and love the other. And then there might be some action that you take because of that. But from humanity, I think everybody on earth would want to be respected and want to be treated as if their perspective was listened to, right? And so when we think about what answer does the Christian arrive at, I really think it's more what answer should anybody arrive at? And that is really we should not abandon our own rights, but definitely not at the expense of the other or our neighbor.
0: And the one thing, reason I love this Twitter feed is because it's a great example of this disruptive dialogue. The person who started, he never really answers the question. He lets the conversation happen, but you can definitely tell where he leans on the side of the question by reading his responses and just how he even, he responds in very caring, respectful ways to the people who differ in his opinion. You know, he prefers his neighbors on Twitter and lets them have, even when they say things, and some of these tweets are not very nice or kind, and they're very kind of snarky but he asked the question and so this is you know really what we're about here with disruptive dialogues is trying to ask the questions that are provocative that get people to think that also give room and space for both perspectives and you definitely kind of know by what we think um, by it, but we don't always come out and say it in explicit or clear cut ways but we want to kind of show that that you know there is diversity of opinions out there And they're important to honor and listen to our neighbors, whether we agree with them or not agree with them. But there's something about kind of respecting those opinions. But at the end of the day, doing unto others as we would have them do unto us, both in conversation and in how we see them.
1: So we hope this particular episode was helpful in just really understanding a disruptive dialogue and really understanding, you know, kind of how to walk through some of these difficult topics. I mean, and in this particular Twitter feed, we did not include all of the <laughs> tweets. I mean, you know, some were just one-liners, just agreeing or disagreeing or whatever. But, you know, some were definitely not worth repeating. It's just, I mean, you, you just have to just step beyond that and see if there is some good that can come about from, from these sort of conversations. So we hope you, uh, as our listeners, we hope you found this helpful and valuable And we hope you do tune in to another episode of Disruptive Dialogues on the Future of Religion. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified of future podcasts. And be sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite platform or share it with your friends. We
0: hope you're leaving today with a better understanding about religion and conversational tools to talk about it. We look forward to seeing you again in our next episode. So until then, take Take care. care.